Is that the way you feel tonight? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What a great, what a great privilege to be in the presence of the Lord, to serve a God who is worthy of glory and he's worthy of honor. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't ever have to worry about bragging on the Lord too much. It's not possible for the Lord to get the big head. Because no matter what it is that you say, no matter what it is that you, how you describe him, he's greater than that. Amen. Oh, what a great privilege to serve him tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be with the people of God. Yeah, I was thinking Sunday as we just enjoyed the presence of the Lord and being with each other, strengthening each other. And I looked around and I thought, you know, there's just no people like the people of God. There's just no people like the people of God. And and I've said this before, but people don't come to church, but they're going to gather somewhere. They're going to find their way to a restaurant, a bar, a ball game, a club. They're going somewhere. They're gathering together. But I want to tell you tonight, there is no more beautiful people in all the world than what you find in the house of the Lord. Amen? It's reading, just came across these verses in Deuteronomy. The Lord was talking to through Moses to the children of Israel. And at the end of chapter 26, Moses talked about the things that the people had vowed to the Lord. But then in verse 18, he said, The Lord hath avouched thee. The Lord has vowed to you this day to be his peculiar people, his special treasured people. As he promised thee that thou shouldest keep all his commandments And further, he promised, he vowed, to make thee high above all nations, which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honor, that thou mayst be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. If the Lord did that for his chosen people in the natural, how much more has he done that for his church that he purchased with his own blood. He has made his people high in praise and in name and in honor that they would be a holy people unto him throughout all the earth. What a great privilege to serve our God together. Amen. Why don't we just offer thanks? Lord, what an honor we have tonight. How great it is to serve you, Lord, and to serve with your people. Amen. Amen. I apologize for keep you standing a little bit long. I'm going to, instead, last week I read Psalm 150. I'll mix it up a little bit tonight. Let's just read Psalm 100. If you even need to turn there, you may know it. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations why don't we praise the Lord one more time before you're seated tonight thank you Lord for your word Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of praising you. Thank you for the privilege of lifting your name high tonight. We glorify you, Lord. We magnify you in this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Last week, I started a thought called, I I talked about the, the particulars of praise. And I kind of want to continue that thought tonight. When we were talking last week, uh, we started off talking about the necessity of building a foundation of praise. And we talked about some of the things that praise actually does. And in the first, I made mention that two weeks ago tonight, I felt like Pastor really gave us the keynote for this month that ultimately we're we're aiming for this thing we call worship and i know we use terms praise and worship somewhat interchangeably that's kind of a, a theme we've been hearing is that we we use those terms interchangeably but there is a difference and and so i i want to talk about that a little bit but but i don't want to rush past this idea of praise, I don't want to shortchange praise because it's crucial and it's important in our lives. Praise is one of those things that that we choose to do with our will. It's it's quite easy for us to choose to praise. And if you think about what praise, the way we commonly use the word is is really very much in line with the way it's used in scripture. When we praise someone, we are highlighting, we are articulating something that's positive about them. Or, um, and we apply this to many things. We praise restaurants for good food. We praise cars for good performance. We praise our kids for doing well and whatever. I mean, we, we praise, right? And when we talk about praise in this context, of course, we're talking about, we're praise, talking about praising the Lord, but it is the same idea that we've identified some characteristic of God and we express it, we speak it out loud, and it becomes a uh, becomes more real whenever we hear ourselves speaking it. And I don't want to rush past that because that is an important aspect of our Christian walk. And we talked last week about there's a couple of reasons why we praise. One is that, well, we're commanded to praise And we read Psalm 150 last week, praise ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So as long as we're breathing, as long as we're breathing God's air, we ought to give him praise and we ought to honor him for that. And the reason why we are commanded to praise is because when we praise the Lord, what we are speaking is the truth. We're, we're telling the truth. It is the greatness of God that keeps us. It is the goodness of God that heaps blessings on us. And we talked last week about the necessity of, of doing this and that it is a way when we face difficult circumstances, it's actually a way for us to respond to circumstances in such a way that we remind ourselves and those who hear us 
that the circumstances are not the final answer. When we praise, we remind ourselves, it's good to hear that in your own voice, the Lord is good. Amen? His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. I might have been stuck in traffic this afternoon. I might have gotten cut off. I might have had conflict with the boss or conflict with a coworker. I, I might have had car trouble. I might have had all sorts of things. But God is good. And his mercy is everlasting. And when we hear ourselves say that, it's more than just thinking it in our mind. We need to be prepared to say it so that it, we get that feedback into our own ears, hearing our own voice saying, yes, God is good. It's a reminder to ourselves and to those that hear us. And you will find there is a precedent in Scripture for that, praising the Lord for the benefit of other people so that they will hear of the goodness of God. But it's not just even other people. You know, we do have a spiritual enemy. And sometimes it's good, you know, he likes to come around, and I don't know that everything that happens is the devil's fault. <clears throat> but I think every once in a while he does like to mix things up a little bit. If it's going too smooth, he likes to get in and stir the pot a little bit. And sometimes it's good to just say it out loud. The Lord is good. <laughs> His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. I am so thankful for Pastor Hughes' message two Sundays ago. A song for this present darkness. I've made up my mind. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Amen? And it's a reminder in the face of Whatever circumstances come, circumstances are not the final answer. They don't have control. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Habakkuk said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet, I love that word, yet, will I rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. I don't get my strength from just when everything's going great. I feel encouraged. I feel excited. I'm ready to go get them. There's sometimes circumstances don't feel like that. And the no herd in the stalls, no figs, no Blossoms on the trees, the olive has failed, everything, everything that we would look for that would mean plenty and would mean goodness and would mean blessing, it's all failed. But Habakkuk said, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And sometimes you just have to make up your mind that's what you're going to do. Now, everybody's heard that old thing about don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat, right? A thermometer will tell you what the temperature is. But if you use a thermostat, you can control what the temperature is. And one of the marks of maturity in a believer's life is when we shift from being impacted by circumstances and just always reading out what the temperature is in our lives, always what is the atmosphere like in my life, and my face always reflects it. If things are going well, I'm smiling. If things aren't going well, I'm down in the dumps. But, you know, I don't... In Houston summers, I don't need a thermometer. 
I need a thermostat. I need something to get that temperature down a little bit where I can live with it. And so that's what a thermostat does. It senses the present condition and makes an adjustment accordingly. And as we mature as believers and as we walk with the Lord, we learn how to impact the atmosphere of our own lives so that we're not tossed about, as Paul said, with every wind of doctrine that comes along and we're tossed to and fro, hither and thither, but actually in spite of the waves, yet our anchor holds sure and we can actually impact the atmosphere in our lives. Now... You know, praise is an interesting thing, but I think it functions a lot like the thermostat. Because it's not that thermostat that actually keeps this room tolerable. There's a big, powerful system up in the attics and outside somewhere. There is a big system that chews up a lot of electricity. And that little thing on the wall just sends a call and says, hey, we need some help in here. And our praise operates much that same way. When, when we detect that the atmosphere in our life is a little bit out of whack, praise starts to make a call and says, hey, we, we need some help over here. Now, there is an element of praise that encourages ourselves, but the real power of praise is that it gets us connected in with the presence of the Lord. And when we begin to say, you know what, the Lord really is in control. The Lord is at work in my situation, even though I can't see it. He's working. Even though I can't feel it, he's working. And with, there's something about our faith that moves God. This is, I want to be clear. This is not the power of positive thinking. Now, positive thinking will help you. It, it, it's good to not be a cynic. It, it's good to not be a pessimist. You know, some people can find the cloud in every silver lining. And, and part of this is disciplining and ourselves to, to see what is focus on the good things. But that by itself doesn't get it done. Because the truth is, and Job said it, man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And without the Lord, I can have all the positive thoughts I want, but that's not going to change a lot of the difficulties in my life. It may make my life more pleasant, but it's not going to completely change things. But when we are engaged with the Lord, when the thermostat is connected all the way up to the power of the Lord, and we make a call that says, hey, things are a little bit out of whack here, we need a little bit of help, and the Lord has a way of moving into our lives and really affecting a change in our lives. Amen? And that's what that's what praise does for us. So I, I don't want us tonight to be too quick to move past it. But one thing I one thing I would like to do is talk about a few of these characteristics of praise. And some of this if you just so a lot of times Whenever we talk about things like this, we look at definitions of words and we compare definitions of words. Um, and that gives a certain amount of light and understanding. But there's another level here that I think is probably more useful in this case. 
And that is where we actually look at the way the words are used in the scripture and infer from that some characteristics. And so that's kind of what I want to do tonight. I want to look at some ways in which praise is discussed and worship is discussed in scripture. And I want to try to draw some, some contrast for you to help us understand what the difference is. Now, pastor said it two weeks ago that not all praise is worship, but worship necessarily requires praise. So if you think about that, um, you can praise, you can even, this is, this is a little bit challenging. You can even praise the Lord without worshiping the Lord. So I'll use my wife as an example. And, and I'm going home with her, so I'm going to be careful. It's... <laughs> But you know, whether she's here or not, and whether I look at her, and I'm not looking at her, whether I look at her or not, I can talk to you about her positive characteristics, and I can praise her. I can say she's a wonderful mother, that she cares deeply for her children, that she takes care of me and she takes care of them. And I can tell you all these positive things about her, that she's the life of the party. And if you're ever going somewhere and you're worried about not having enough conversation, just take her with you. That's <laughs> see, see, here's the deal. I'm kind of an introvert, believe it or not. It's true. And so when I get nervous, I get quiet. She's exactly the opposite. When she gets nervous, she just talks. Well, what happens when she starts talking, she starts breaking the ice. And all of a sudden, other people feel comfortable talking. She starts conversations, and things just happen. So if you're ever in need of somebody to break the ice or some situation, I, I have stories I can tell I need to move on. But see, I can stand here, I can stand here and praise her whether she's here or not. And simultaneously, I could act in ways that were unloving to her. And I could praise her sincerely and genuinely and mean it, and yet still treat her in an unloving way. Do things that are not pleasing to her, that were destructive to our relationship, whatever, because, because praise and worship, praise and love are two different things. And if you look in scripture, what you will find is that, and just in our common usage of this, praise does not require the nearness of its object. I can talk to you about her, whether she's here or not. She could be 10,000 miles away. But if, if I'm acting in a loving way toward her, then really, if I'm really loving her, there is a nearness and there is a closeness that's required. So when we, when our praise transitions to worship, one of the ways that that happens is that we move away from praising in some distant, abstract sense, and our praise is not focused on other people, but our, but it become when it becomes worship, it becomes focused on the Lord. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing, and there is a there is a closeness and there is an intimacy that is required for worship. 
And you can see this when you, you read in the scripture. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the Lord called for Moses and the elders. And he said, I want you to worship. I want you to come. But I want the elders to worship. This was the place I could find where he said worship from afar. They were still being called out and drawn closer than the people. But he said, the elders can only come so far. But Moses, I, I want Moses to come closer. And the degree of intimacy, the degree of closeness to the object of worship describes the depth of the worship. So when we, when we are distant from him, it's not really, it's not really worship. It's just praise. And my point tonight is I can be honest and genuine and sincere in my praise and yet still not be truly loving the Lord. I can acknowledge his greatness. I might even acknowledge him as the creator. But if I live my life practically as though I were an atheist, then I'm not worshiping, I'm not loving. I may be saying all the right things and I may be honest and genuine in what I am saying and yet there is an emptiness and there is a brokenness in my relationship with him. So worship requires something a little bit different. Now, praise is required of everyone. It's asked of everyone. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And um, there is um, any number of verses uh, about this. Psalm 67 Let me go there just real quickly. Psalm 67, verse 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. And you can find verses. Psalm 117.1 is another example. Psalm 57.9. These are verses where the Lord is calling for praise from all of the nations, from the heathen, from, from everyone. Because we all have an obligation to speak the truth. But worship is one of those things that requires relationship, and you will never find, I could not find any example in Scripture of worship being called for in general from all the people. Worship is always directed to, calls for worship are always directed to those that are in relationship with Him. So if you're going to worship, well, relationship becomes a, a requirement. If we have a desire to worship the Lord, we have to establish that relationship first and foremost. And it's like Pastor taught a couple of weeks ago. He said the word for the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word for worship, there's a connotation of being pressed down or of kneeling. And the idea there is that our will is submitted to the Lord. See, worship requires me to submit my will. I, I might not... I, I might be able to talk to you about all the great characteristics of my wife, but if I'm not willing to submit and be in relationship and do the things that are beneficial for her and pleasing for her, then there is no, there is no love relationship there. The same thing holds true of us with God. If we can talk all day long about the greatness and the goodness of God, but if we're not willing to bow our knee, if we're not willing to bow our will to Him, then we'll never be able to worship because that's what, that's what worship requires. It requires me to yield my will and submit to him 
and be subject to the things that are pleasing to him and things that are beneficial or that he would desire of me. So relationship is the prerequisite for worship. Now, the good news, if you have repented of your sin, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've received the Holy Ghost, you're in covenant relationship with him. The highway is open for you to worship him. Because you are in, you are his people. You are the sheep of his pasture. You are the ones that he is calling out in this hour. If that hasn't happened and you desire to worship him, the first call is a call to repentance. What is repentance? That is a bowing of the will. That's a turning of our will toward him. It's, it's interesting. That's, that's never required to praise. <laughs> the Lord will take praise from anybody. But worship, I don't know. That requires relationship. Where and, and, and how do we praise? Well, not only is everybody required or asked to praise, but you will find in the scripture, in the Old Testament, you will actually find that there, is, there are calls for people to worship for the benefit of all the nations. Right? We praise the Lord so that the heathen will hear of his greatness. We articulate his greatness. We articulate his praise. We, we praise so that all of the people around, all of the heathen nations will know of his goodness. But when you, when you read calls to worship, there is never any reason given. It's not for the benefit of anybody else. It's because he loves me. And he wants us to commune together, and he wants us to be in relationship with each other. That's the difference between praise and worship. Now, the beauty of this is that, you know, what did Jesus say in the New Testament? He said, um, don't pray like the Pharisees that stand at the front and they pray loud and they want everyone to see them pray. But he said, enter into your closet. But to me, and I I can't remember if it was Brother Pugh maybe that said this, the way that we worship, because we all praise the Lord together, we all vocalize, we all pray out loud, that when our voices are raised, it becomes impossible to distinguish one from the other. And when we praise, and when we stand in a service, services like we were in on Sunday even tonight as we begin to enter into praise and worship, there is, a, there is a point at which our praise stops being for the benefit of everybody else around, and it stops being us just singing because we're making harmony with the person next to us, but our focus just shifts. It's almost like this tunnel vision comes, and our focus shifts to the Lord. And because of all of the racket, we're all in our own prayer closet in this room. And we can enter into worship and nobody can distinguish our voice and we can't distinguish anybody else's voice. It's, it's just about me and the Lord. And you alone know when that happens for you in a service. But there is this praise that, that wells up and then all of a sudden, man, I mean, there's a focus and there's a connection that's made and we begin to do it with, with our heart. And I think, Whether we're out there or whether we're up here or we're on an instrument, that needs to be the focus is that we're praising together 
so that we can, even though we don't worship for the benefit of each other, we all worship individually together. Amen? What a beautiful thing to consider entering into the presence of the Lord ourselves and having that one-on-one communion with Him while everyone else is around and there's, you feel the support and the strength of all of your neighbors and yet there is this, this element of individuality that comes with our worship. What a great privilege we have to worship the Lord. It's not for the benefit of the heathen. It's not for, you know, praise even. Uh, the psalmist says these things are written that the generations to come may know. There's some things when you praise the Lord in your life and you allow songs to be a part of your family's life and you, you allow certain praises and certain phrases to be a part of your family's life, you begin to bless subsequent generations because they hear of those things. And it is a, it is a great, great thing. The other piece of this is that whenever we find mention of praise in the scripture, it's very often associated with an action. And a lot of times, too, there will be some motivation. God has done this thing, so we do this thing. And you'll find verses where we're encouraged to praise him because of creation. He is the creator. Or he is the provider. He has given us great provision. And so we thank him and we give him honor. And, and you know, there may be sing unto the Lord uh, for his goodness. And uh, all of these different kinds of things. But you'll find where the scripture points us to a specific action that God has, or a specific thing that God has done. It encourages us to respond with a certain action. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's provision, whatever. But worship is not for some specific thing that he has done. It's really because of who he is. The, the word itself, worth, worship, really comes from the idea of ascribing worth to someone or to something. And, and that's what we do when we worship, when we have this one-on-one, this connection with the Lord, there is a, we sang about it tonight, Lord, you're worthy. That's when we start, and there, admittedly, folks, there's some overlap here, but we, we start to move when we start talking about his worthiness, not just the great things he's done, but the fact that he's worthy. And we start to focus on the, the, the things that make God worthy. Well, from everlasting to everlasting, without beginning, without end, uh, the Almighty, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is powerful enough to create and then recreate and perform miracles in our lives. We just start thinking about the, all the, the worthiness of God, the fact that he had a plan from the beginning when he created man, that he would come. He knew he was going to have to redeem man, and so he would come, and we begin to think on these things. He is so worthy of our worship. Not just our praise, but, but our worship, everything that we have. We worship him because of who he is. And the Lord said several times in the Old Testament, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I don't ever find where he says, praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now I know there are specific 
teachings about manners of living and things that we do that we put under the umbrella of holiness. But really, when we talk about holiness, we're talking about what we are more than what we do. And that holiness ultimately has to come from God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a power of the Holy Ghost that comes into our lives and it begins to change us. It changes our character. It, if we allow it, if we allow it, it will allow us to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It will allow us to live a victorious life over sin. We can overcome sin. And what happens when we begin to have that Holy Ghost active in our lives, there is, an, there is a holiness that pervades our entire life. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to work itself out in the manner in which we live. The Lord said, that's worship. Worship me in the beauty of holiness. Now, if you go all the way back to Leviticus, the commandment was specifically, be holy. What was the reason? For I am holy. You are my people. You be holy because I am holy. So the difference between praise and worship, praise we often do in response to something that God has done. But worship is because of who he is. He is holy. Well, if, if we are responding in praise to something that he has done, it is by something that we do. We take an action. We clap. We sing. We shout. We, we articulate the praises of the Lord. He did something. He created us. He saved us. And we respond with a certain action. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There are actions that we take. But what about worship? If, if worship is in response to who he is, the true worship is by what I am. So, so worship becomes all-encompassing. It's not just this thing that we come together to do. Yes, our praise, when we gather together, can become worship. But the true believer, the real worship, is what is it that pervades our entire life? What is it that the Spirit of God working through us in everything that we do? Be ye holy, for I am holy. If we're responding to what he is, the proper response is by becoming ourselves what he is. Our response should be by what we are. Not so much, not just what we do. Yes, it bears itself out in actions. I'm not saying that. But it's got to come from the heart. Remember Acts 17? The Apostle Paul is at Mars Hill. He sees all of these statues. And he says... He finds the one that says to the, own, to the unknown God. They had all of these statues named. And he's looking around and he says, oh, I saw. They put another one out there in case they had missed one to the unknown God. And Paul said, yeah, you, you did miss one. That's the one I want to talk to you about. Is the one you don't know anything about. And he described God as being great. And he said, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he worshipped with men's hands. And we, we read that, man, we, shoo, we gloss right past that. 
We understand he's not, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. In the New Testament, we are the temple of God. We have been bought with a price. He, he has chosen to take up dwelling in us by the same token then. It's not the actions of our hands that worships him. It is the condition of our heart. It's the condition of our temple that worships him. And this is the way and this is the manner in which, in which praise leads us into worship. Because in our lives, whenever we face circumstances, we, with our mouth and with our lips, we begin to express the goodness of God. If that becomes our habit, that begins to season our lives. That begins to change us and, and couple together with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It actually begins to change our lives, to transform us. Right. Amen? Now, I don't want this to be... And I said last week, sometimes you analyze things too much you kill it right I, I don't want that to be the case at all what I'm what I'm trying to make the point tonight is there is as important as praise is and as enjoyable as it is for all of us to gather together and praise the Lord together there is actually this additional level if you will where the believer the spirit-filled believer we have an opportunity to live on a completely different plane when it comes to spirituality, living a life of worship. What a privilege it is for us to be able to uh, impact the atmosphere of our lives and, and actually the Lord allow the Spirit of the Lord to draw us and to put us in this place where worship really is what is needed. For me, the most... The most startling characteristic, I guess, is um, when you start thinking about what makes praise valid. In order for praise to be valid, it really just needs to be sincere. I have to be honest. And if I, if I think my wife does something great and I say that, that's true praise. But if I lie about it, let's just tell a story. Same thing's true when we begin to praise the Lord. We catch ourselves sometimes saying cliches, catchphrases, and we have our own terminology. And if we're not careful, you know, it turns into, our terminology turns into a liturgy. Like, this is just what we gather together and say. But if our praise is going to be proper, it has to be honest, it has to be sincere. And the Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, chapter 29, the Lord told him, he said, this people draw nigh to me with their lips, and they honor me with their words, but their hearts are far from me. Praise has to be sincere. But here's the flip side of the coin. Worship is always sincere, because worship is an expression of love, and it's by definition, it's sincere. But sincerity is not enough for worship to be valid. Matthew chapter 15, coming to a close tonight. The Lord himself speaking, he said, Well, does, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
He quoted Isaiah. But he didn't stop there. He went one step further. Not only is there an insincerity in your praise, but there's error in your worship. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Time is coming and now is. God wants all true worshipers to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus said, he said, Isaiah said of you that you draw nigh with your mouth and honor with your lips, but your heart is far away. And he said, he added to it, he said, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Because worship, he said, vain worship is when worship is done in error. You know, there's, there is an element of this in which all humanity worships something. We are just built that way. That we're going to give our time and our energy and our passion to something. We're going to worship something. Now, a lot of times in this age, it winds up being some variation of self-worship. We do whatever makes us feel good, whatever satisfies us. We worship ourselves. But it's not the sincerity that makes that worship valid. In fact, that is, that is in vain. It is improper worship because you're not worshiping in truth. You're not worshiping the one true and living God. And Jesus said they make their worship vain. They make it nothing. They make it emptiness because they teach as a doctrine things that are commandments of men and not the truth. They that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So our challenge tonight is to say, Lord, I want to praise you, but I want to worship you too. And when I worship you, I don't want my worship to be in vain. I need you, Lord, to kindle in me a love for the truth so that I really gain an understanding of who it is that I'm worshiping and what it is that I'm worshiping and that I really am worshiping the one true and living God. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to lose out with God. I want my, I want my worship to not be in vain, to not be empty, to not be nothingness. I want it to be right. I want it to be pure. I want to be worshiping the one true living God. Why don't we stand together tonight? If you don't, if you don't take anything else from this, praise and worship, take this. Praise and worship are both crucial. And there is some point at which what we do begins to bleed over into who we are. And it is that aspect of our Christian walk, our Christian life, where we've made a choice of the will to praise the Lord and we begin to see it change the the tenor and the temperature, the atmosphere of our lives. But it goes beyond that and becomes transformational. And we enter into what is truly worship of God. Amen? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask him to somehow... Uh, I, I, I know, before we do that, I know that I'm talking tonight to people who are praisers and people who are true worshipers, people who love God and want to, want to love God. I want us to remember, and I think the purpose of this month is for us to remind ourselves... What an important aspect of the foundation and stability of our lives these things are. 
And that no matter the difficulty and no matter the problem, we have at our disposal these things that become actually very spiritual weapons that are available to us and allow us to live victoriously. Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. I pray, Lord, that somehow this could get down deep in our spirit and create in us a hunger. You promised, Lord, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness would be filled. And Lord, our desire tonight is that you would somehow create in us a hunger, Lord, to praise you and even to worship you, a desire to come closer, a desire to be drawn near to you so that we could be ever closer to you and more more closely bonded and bound to you in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the strength that you give us, the maturity that comes from the choice of the will to praise you, and that you would take us, Lord, and use that to launch us into a different transformational part of our lives where your spirit continues to work in us. Lord, we ask that you would do these things, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to learn to use these things as we navigate through the difficulties and the challenges of life, that we will know, Lord, that your word is ever at our side, that you, O Lord, we will sing forever of the mercies of the Lord because of your goodness and your greatness to your people. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord, bless you tonight. May the Lord be with you. Amen. Looking forward, don't forget this weekend, great services this weekend and the announcements that Brother Dwayne made. Um, If your kids need to go to the camps, be sure to see Brother Landon or Pastor. Lord, go with you and bring us back together. Amen.